Leviticus um, has, has been mentioned. This is, this is where it gets heavy. Um, some people, they have all the right intentions and they say, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then it kind of stops after about chapter one because it gets heavy. Hopefully tonight is going to give you a new appreciation um, for this amazing book. But it is dense, and I'll be upfront about that. Don't know if we've got any Top Gear um, fans in the room or Toby, Toby, the one fist pump at the back. Um, uh, I was, when moving to London, uh, Josh, our seven and a half year old, he's mad about cars. And he couldn't understand when he would go up and politely engage, he's quite a social little boy, um, with, with, with folk, with Londoners, with Peckhamites. And what car do you have? I don't have a car. And he, he would just kind of, he couldn't understand that people didn't have a car, obviously coming from the countryside and loving Top Gear. But well done to you if you don't and you use public transport. Good on you. But anyway, the last parish that we uh, came from was home of Top Gear. So it had Dunsfold Aerodrome where they used to film Top Gear. And quite early on in my time there, got quite good friends with um, the guy who ran the burger van for the Top Gear um, site. And he really blessed me. He found out it was my birthday. And he said, oh, I'll give you a Top Gear um, ticket. And so to start with, I rocked up. And I'd just come from a funeral, so I had my dog collar on. And, uh, and I thought it would be funny to go in the dog collar with the stig in the car. And um, I got in, the, in the, this lovely Bentley. It had like this V8 purring engine. And the stig was sitting there. And he had some Botticelli playing in the car as I sat in. And I was like, hi, nice to meet you. And he just kind of looked at me in his visor and then just looked back to the steering wheel, said nothing, and I felt like a little small schoolboy. Um, so I had that experience, but then I also got the experience, if you're a Top Gear fan, you'll know what I'm talking about, of driving a reasonably priced car around the racetrack. And basically, you, you just take a, a reasonably priced car, I think it was a little Nova, and you try and rag it around a racetrack and set a lap time. And that's where you have all the celebrities with their, their times, and you try and beat them. And you, you sit next to a, a, a rally car professional who's, um, who's just doing this now as an instructor. And I like to think that I'm quite a savvy driver. You know, sometimes I take driving lines when I'm going roundabouts. I shouldn't, but I do, confession time. Um, but I got in this car, and he started giving me all these, these, these commands. He was basically setting an ideal for how to set the ideal race time. And he was like, um, I, I remember writing it down, when you hit Chicago, don't understeer. Keep it flat, follow through. And I was like, what? what are you, you're talking another language. I am definitely going to make some mistakes here. But here's the thing, I did make a lot of mistakes. But he was there, sitting by my side, and he had presumably factored in that Actually, I'm just a novice driver. I like to think I'm quite good. I'm going to make loads of uh, mistakes. And even when there was a good smell of burning rubber at various points around the track, he was there on standby, ready to take over, ready to take the wheel if necessary. I was in safe hands. I reckon reading Leviticus would have been a bit like that for any Hebrew. So an ideal is set as you read the book. And yet for a Hebrew thinking... That's how holy God wants me to be. There is no way I can reach the ideal. And yet, Leviticus has also um, the means for all the mistakes to get you still to that ideal. It, it kind of factors in all of our mistakes and still points us to the ideal. That's really key when reading Leviticus. There's loads of talk about sacrifice, 
And that's because to be holy, we actually need a sacrifice. That's the, the very quick intro to Leviticus. You may well know, as I've said in previous weeks, that uh, most of the Hebrew titles um, come from the first word of the book. And in the Hebrew, uh, Leviticus means, and he called. And that's straight from verse 1, chapter 1, and he called. And in one sense, that's really helpful, for, again, for an overview of Leviticus, because in this book, God is calling his people to holiness. The big theme of the book. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1 starts like that, and the last verse of the book basically ends again with the writer saying, this is what God had called us into. They're his instructions, if you like, for holy living. And it's also why one of the key verses in the book keeps on getting picked up in the New Testament. You'll probably know it. Chapter 11, verse 44. What does it say? Be holy because I am holy. Yeah. And holiness, as I've mentioned, huge theme. Um, the word holy pops up some 152 times. Um, so within Exodus, if you remember back to last week, I had said it's all about how a holy God draws alongside or tabernacles alongside a sinful people. And in Leviticus, we find a very similar theme, really. It's this holy God dwelling alongside a sinful people. And you might say, well, why is another book given to the same message? And I think it's because if you're anything like me, then we're all quite forgetful at times. And again, another image I have in my mind is um, of a vending machine. Do you remember the old vending machines that you put the, the coins in at the top, and you press the number, and out comes the, the can of Pepsi or whatever it is? Um, very often, those vending machines, you put your penny in, and it got stuck. Do you remember? And you're like, oh, oh I've lost that penny. I've lost the can. And so you then start smacking the machine on the side of the, we're like that. Very often the penny gets stuck and we just need a good hit on the side until the penny drops. God knows it and therefore very often the same themes come up time and time again. And I'm sure he chuckles to himself. But the slight difference with Leviticus from Exodus is that Leviticus is more concerned with the how. How can this holy God draw alongside a sinful people? And sadly we lose a lot of the exciting narrative of Exodus, which is why lots of people stop reading in Leviticus. And instead, we're confronted with huge swathes of instructions, all about sacrificial and ceremonial laws. And time and time again, the message is, we need sacrifice. We need sacrifice to approach this holy God. And uh, I think we mentioned last week, you know, if you could choose one word to describe God, a good word to start with would be holy, because holy means to to be completely set apart, to, 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 to be other, to, to be different, to be distinct. And God's holiness, that difference, is, is the basis for all of the Levitical laws. It's why so many of the chapters get lumped under this heading, the holiness codes. And I should add that keeping these laws, it was not an optional extra for the Israelites. It's precisely what set them apart. It's why... Leviticus was the first book of the Bible studied by Jewish children. You know that? What does it mean to be a true Israelite? To be different. I remember being asked um, by a youth group member why Jews don't eat pork.
talk. And um, I guess outside of church, people will suggest a lot of reasons, hygiene, um, foodborne illnesses, maybe the increasing popularity of the chicken in the Middle East. <laughs> in fact, the simple answer is to do with this call to, to holiness, to be different, prescribed all those years ago in this book, Leviticus. Kosher dietary laws further distinguished the Israelites from all those living around them. It made them different. They acted as one more reason, one more way of, of being set apart, being holy like God. So that's my kind of big in, intro. Um, this book, it is all about that call, be holy. And I'm going to split the, the talk kind of into two. Um, I think the book kind of splits into two as well. I'm going to spend most time on the first um, section. The first half of Leviticus shows us the means of holiness. And then the second half, we're going to pick up on that call to holiness. Firstly then, um, we're doing this, this kind of whistle-stop overview of, of chapters 1 to 16, uh, the means of holiness. And it includes all the instructions for offerings and sacrifices. And the means of holiness were very important because, and we're going deep now, so hopefully you're ready, the Israelite community were forever changing states between being considered clean and unclean. And perhaps you've heard this before if you've even read Leviticus at kind of a brief level. You would have seen those words popping up. So you imagine that um, me growing up again, my mum just, just was washed my new English rugby shirt, uh, the home strip. You know, it's, it's, it's white um, and it looks, it looks pristine. She's put her favourite Daz on. Um, and, uh, and I think, yeah, I feel the part in this, you know, sponsored by cotton traders, yeah, yeah. And I go and start running outside, playing with my mates, and I'm in the muddy puddles, and it, it does not look like it did earlier on in the day when I come home. My mum's outraged. Anyway, Daz does the trick again, and it's whiter and white. Uh, and the next day, yeah, I look the part, cotton traders, and then I'm back out in the mud. That's what it was like for the Israelites. All English rugby fans. Uh, no. <laughs> they were constantly going from being clean to unclean, to clean, to unclean, to clean, to unclean. And I should add, and you need to factor in, that that distinction is different from being holy and sinful and holy and sinful. For example, a woman who was on her menstrual cycle or a person who had touched a dead body was said to be unclean. Hadn't necessarily sinned. However, they would be sinning if whilst unclean they went to the tabernacle or did something they were forbidden to do when unclean. That would obviously then become a transgression, deliberately going against God's commands, and that would be called sin. Just getting you into some of the, the kind of the, the, the technical language and jargon in Leviticus. Um, another example, back in Exodus, we saw, didn't we? Um, how sacred space, if you like, came and presence came to develop because God was right at the heart of the community, tabernacle, tabernacling in their midst. Do you remember that? Uh, the, the Holy of Holies and the, 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 the tabernacle was right at the center of all of the, um, the Israelite tribes camped around them. And so the kind of closer you were to the center, the cleaner you were. So if you were outside the camp, you were considered unclean, and it's why Israelites certainly wouldn't um, invite Canaanites 
over for a dinner party because they were seen as unclean. I was watching Ben-Hur not too long ago. It's, it's why um, the lepers there, they, it's really sad. I mean, they had their own valley of the lepers because they were considered unclean and people didn't want them to make them unclean when they were clean. Just very quickly jumping ahead to Jesus, it is awesome, isn't it, that when he steps foot into earth, he doesn't come down with airs and graces. Um, he tabernacles in our mess, in our midst. So for any of us, we can know cleanness and being clean in God's sight even in our mess, even in the messy week that you've got ahead of you because Jesus by his spirit walks with you. Uh, you'll also remember, hopefully, if you were with us last week for Exodus, uh, me saying that God was super interested in the exact measurements of the tabernacle, not because he was a carpet fitter with a ruler in his back pocket, uh, but because he is holy and he's different and he cares about these things. And again, in Leviticus, being so precise and different also meant distinctions occurred even within the, the animal world. So those to be sacrificed were holy. Those to be eaten but not sacrificed were clean. And those not to be sacrificed or eaten were unclean. Now, forgive me, because you might think, Greg, you just jumped in really, really deep. Um, but, and it might seem quite harsh as well, some of these laws. It might seem very foreign to us. But I share all that depth with you to, to go back to that biblical principle we were looking at last week, that we come to God on his terms, um, not on our own. Uh, fortunately, he is a gracious God who stepped in to welcome us. But we need to remember his holiness, that we come to him on his terms. Um, God is, is like the sun, S-U-N. Us Brits, we love the sun. We get so excited when it gets, you know, over, over 20 degrees and the sun's shining. We get the deck chairs out, we roll the sleeves up, you know, ladder the sun cream on. We love it. Um, for those Celts among us, we're also quite aware that the sun, although it's very nice, it's also a big ball of burning fire. And without the sun cream, we could... Our pasty skin could, you know, it could turn red quite quickly. And so there's also a sense of reverence. And, and friends, that is all, almost a little picture of our God. We respect the sun, recognizing its power, loving it. We love God so much. But we respect his awesome power. If you like his, his wildness, somebody put it the other day. Respect him. Now let me show you one way this is made clear. It's in Leviticus chapter 10, uh, verses 1 to 2. Let me read them to you. If you want to follow in your Bibles, you can, but I'll read out those verses. Chapter 10, verses 1 to 2. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not com commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now, that's a passage that kind of hits us in the face. Um, 
And it's a hard passage to just share very briefly and move on, and we could spend a lot of time thinking about it, but the point to just briefly mention is, is God is to be feared. I don't really know what the unauthorized fire was that's mentioned there, and yet, friends, even if well-known priests get it wrong, the average Hebrew is most certainly going to mess up. And therefore, God, in Leviticus, he provides these offerings and sacrifices as a way for their holiness to be restored, as a way for his, his anger to be averted so that it doesn't consume them like it did Nadab and Abihu. Now, although with some types of uncleanness, Time was the cure, it's written in the book. Most of the time, sin and uncleanness were seen as analogous, and the, the sacrificial system catered for both. And in Leviticus, again, going deep, there are four uh, types of offerings mentioned. Let me very briefly mention, uh, sorry, the five types of offerings mentioned. So, I hope you've got a big appetite tonight, by the way, I mean, you've been worshipping all this time, and I found sometimes with sung worship actually leads me to, to open my mouth ready for the teaching. But anyway, five types of offerings. In chapters one and two, we hear of both burnt offerings and cereal offerings. Uh, the aim of both of these is to glorify God and rededicate one's life to him. Um, it would have been good to have, have one of those at the, the confirmation service tonight, rededication. Um, and with a burnt offering, the whole of an unblemished male animal was burnt. Then in chapter 3, we're taught about peace offerings. And the aim with a peace offering is to keep communion with God and, and simply say thank you. And with a peace offering, just so you know, it could have been a male or a female animal, needs to be unblemished, and only the fat is burned with the remainder eaten by the priest and worshipper in a fellowship meal. God is very precise. And then finally, in chapters 4 and 5 we learn about both sin offerings and guilt offerings. And these offerings are even more particular, and they cover both intentional and unintentional sin. And the sin offering, it does what it says on the tin. It's made to remove sin or defilement. Uh, the fat of the animal is burned with the rest of it eaten by the priest. The animal could have been a bull, a male or a female goat, a lamb or a pair of doves or pigeons according to the wealth of the individual. The guilt offering was to remove the guilt associated with things like the misuse of holy instruments. For that, by the way, an unblemished ram would need to be sacrificed, with its fat being burned and the remainder being eaten by the priest. And once again, Greg, why are you telling me such detail? Well, I'm trying to give you an appreciation for the, the preciseness of God it's to highlight the standards God expects from his people. And it's to show us that sin, our sin, it needs to be accounted for. It's serious and it requires precise action. It can't just be overlooked or forgotten. That, friends, is the first half of Leviticus, the means of holiness. And just before we, we come to that, end of the first half. I mentioned it would be the longest section. Nothing spells that out more clearly than chapter 16. Many of you will know chapter 16, the Day of Atonement. Um, so chapter 16, verses 15 to 22, 
Um, I won't read it all out. I'll just pick a few verses. Verse 15. Then uh, he, the, the priest, shall kill the goat of the sin offering, that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat. Mercy seat. Um, the, the Ark of the Covenant, if you like. It's the, the top of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was said to, to, to house the Almighty God. So quite significant space for the sprinkling of blood. And in front of the mercy seat as well. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions or their sins. And then it goes on... Um, to another goat, there's two goats, verse 21, and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. And the goat shall bear all of their iniquities. And so it will go to a remote area. Um, two different goats here. Um, the first one acts as a sin offering. Um, its blood, as I've mentioned, is sprinkled in the most holy place in the tabernacle to cleanse um, that sacred space from Israelite uncleanness. Um, and such uncleanness around that special place was serious. It resulted in death, which is why blood had to be sprinkled. Actually, it's in, it's in Leviticus um, where blood becomes such an important theme in the rest of the Bible. Um, Leviticus uh, is chapter 17, um, verse 11, and it says, the life of the flesh is in the blood, which is why sacrifice is so important. Um, a life for a life, if you like. You think of substitution, Jesus stepping in for us, but not just clicking his fingers, having to die and pour out his blood for us to save us. He dies our death. But then there's also that other goat. And that goat doesn't deal with the sin, if you like. It deals with our guilt. And all of the Israelite guilt is laid on that goat. And it's almost then the goat's kind of given a kick up the backside. And it's, and it's kicked off into a remote area so that the guilt of the people is taken away. Very often, you know, we, we know that our sin's been taken away by Jesus. But we still live with this sense of guilt. And God here is saying, no. Your guilt's gone. Don't invite that goat back into the camp. Let him stay in the remote area. It's striking that in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, we read these words. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. We know, as John the Baptist says, when he points to Jesus, look, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Slightly different lamb representation there, but he's also that first goat that dies for our sin. He's also the second live goat who takes away our guilt outside the city wall. Hallelujah, Jesus. He's amazing. Love him. That, friends, is the means to holiness. First half, very briefly. Second half, verses, uh, chapters 17 to 27, we could call the call to holiness. And quite simply in this section, one will encounter that God's instruction is to have an impact in every area of life. 
And again, Leviticus is quite precise. Just a few examples for you to, to not chuckle at, but to appreciate. So things like bodily discharges during sexual intercourse, childbirth, a woman's menstrual cycle, I've already mentioned, all rendered a person unclean. Action needed to be taken. If not, and then detected, punishment would follow. Or uh, say if you were out for a walk and came into contact with a bit of uh, roadkill, maybe a, a dead badger by the side of the road, maybe even if you just accidentally brushed your leg um, before you noticed it, that brushing would have rendered you unclean. Imagine then, having touched the badger, you then touched a clay pot. That clay pot, it's unclean. It's going to have to be broken. I could go on all day about all that the law required. I won't do that. But I hope you can appreciate that, um, that God impacted the whole of their lives. Every second. There was not one caveat any Jew could hold back from God as though it didn't concern him. That's the message of Leviticus. A call to holiness and in it also the means of purification in times of failure. Friends, the question I want to leave you with, and I plan to say a lot more, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to close with this question. Do you think God is any less concerned about the holiness of his people today. Sure, Jesus has come as the one true sacrifice, so much so that we don't need to, like the Israelites, be breaking clay pots here and there. He is the once and for all sacrifice. Our sin, our guilt, your sin, your guilt, your shame is removed in him. But we're told that this Jesus is going to come back riding on the clouds of heaven. Can you picture that? That power, that's the holy God we worship. The lamb who was slain is also the lion of Judah with the loudest roar. He's the same God there always has been. God doesn't change. And that's a beautiful truth, friends. Because it means that we can trust him. He doesn't play mind games with us. He's faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can trust him when you walk out of church tonight. He loves you. He will not leave you, but he cares about your holiness. Well, as I draw to a close, why don't we um, bow our heads? We'll just have a moment of quiet where we ask the Lord in the quietness of your own hearts, your own prayers, to once again give you a vision of what it might mean in your life to pursue something of that holiness, to regain that vision of his power, of his awe, of him riding the clouds of heaven. Our Father God, you are our great potter. 
want to say thank you this evening for who you are, for the privilege of being able to come and praise you, and for the privilege of being able to read your holy word with freedom. Think of our brothers and sisters around the world who have to hide Bibles in places only they know at great risk. We think of brothers and sisters around the world who are praying earnestly for a Bible. We have so many. Please help us to honor your holy teaching. And please give us the strength when we've fallen to get back up again, knowing that you forgive us the 70 times seven times. Thank you that you constantly are running towards us, not away from us, willing us on. I pray for my brothers and sisters this evening as they go from here, that they would know your blessing, that your presence and zeal for you would go with them. Please use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.